How is everybody today? All right, let's pray. And first of all, I want to thank everybody who did anything to get today ready. Let's applaud all the workers who set everything up. Awesome. Let's pray together. Father, uh, just thank you for this day. We pray your blessing on it, uh, the preaching of your word even now. Thank you, Father, that for the time being, the storms are gone. And we pray that they would keep tracking north and that you would just bless us with, with clear weather. Lord, teach us as your children. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Now, some of you were anticipating how I would enter today. You've been talking and you've been snooping and you've been asking and you've been a pain in our backsides. Uh, And some of you here, you know, you're expecting this grand entrance. And some of you here today are thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. What, what, what do you usually do on this kind of day? Well, I've come in on a horse. We've had a casket walk down the aisle to get your attention. Uh, I got up and boxed Big Joe Demas, knocked him out Rocky style. No problem one year. Uh, was thrown against a Velcro wall, disguised as his old man sitting among you, and then came up unpreached. Uh, entered in an army vehicle. All kinds of things. Uh, all tied into the message that I would preach on. Some of you, since we didn't have a tent this year, were expecting a skydiver to come in. Yeah, we heard the rumblings. We heard the rumors. What kind of crazy pastor do you think I am? I would never do something like that, right? Well, today I just plan to uh, walk right up here as usual. No fanfare, no excitement, pretty anticlimactic for some of you. Um, But the jamboree can't be about an entrance. It's got to be about God, amen? And that's why we are gathered here today for the Lord. Today I simply wanted to do what Jesus did. When he saw a crowd gathered. You may say, well, what did Jesus do when he saw a crowd that was gathered? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. And this is what we read in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1 and 2. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he began to teach them. So he saw a crowd of people, similar to what is here today. There, there is a crowd here. And he went up on a mountain. Now, I'm, I'm going to make my way to our mountain over here. Nice feedback. Whew. So here's my mountain. This is the hillside. And I, I want you to think about Jesus doing this. Whole group of people. He saw them. He goes up on a mountain. And he decides to sit down, whether it was on the ground or on a rock, we don't know. And he taught them. He taught them. What did he teach them? He taught them something that we know is now called the Sermon on the Mount. And um, he taught a group of people. We know at the end of the sermon, chapter 7, verse 28, it says crowds were there. So it wasn't just his disciples. And in a parallel passage in Luke 6, there were large crowds of his disciples. So there were a lot of people gathered. And it's not where Jesus spoke, but what Jesus spoke on That was very, very important. What did he speak on? Well, the religious leaders of the day were very, very confusing in their teaching. Get ready for some feedback. I'm coming back up. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were very, very confusing. The religious leaders of our day are very, very confusing. And you may say, well, what are they confusing about? They're confusing about what it means to live for God. 
What exactly does it mean to live for God? And, and how do you gain God's favor and God's blessing? And what does it mean to be blessed by God? And the religious leaders of Jesus' day set up all these legalistic rules and regulations and traditions. And their spirituality was artificial instead of authentic. And it was external instead of internal. It was all about putting on a show. To let people know how godly you are and how spiritual you are and what you've done and you'll gain the blessing of God. There's a lot of confusing religious leaders today as there were in Jesus's day. Now, we all want the blessing of God. Do you not want the blessing of God? Yes. I want the blessing of God upon my life. You want the blessing of God upon your life. The blessing of God and blessed means happy or fortunate or God's favor to rest upon you. But we've got a lot of confusion when it comes to what is God's blessing. We think in terms of finances. If I have a lot of money, oh, I've been blessed by God. We think in terms of physical things. If, if I have good health, I've been blessed by God. We think in terms of material. If I have a bigger home and a nicer car and, and, and fancier jewelry or, or the latest clothes, I've been blessed by it. We think relationally. If there's peace in my home and, and with my neighbors and coworkers and my children, I've been blessed by God. We, we have all of it. Jesus takes blessing, the, what we think of blessing, and he turns it on its head. And he says, I want to talk to you what it means to be blessed. So listen up, because there's a lot of confusion in this world. Listen up. And this sermon is, is not how to get to heaven that Jesus taught, but how someone who is going to heaven should live. And so he takes them to what we call the Beatitudes, the first 12 verses of the Sermon on the Mount. And it comes from the word beatus, which is Latin, which means blessing. And, and read along with me. Look at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what he says? He says, you're blessed if you are poor in spirit. It means when you are broken and you are contrite and you are humbled and you are repentant and when you are sorrowful over your sin, God says, you're blessed. You're blessed. When you've turned from your pride and you've emptied yourself of your self-righteousness, when you are honest with yourself and with your God, he says, that's when you're blessed. When you confess your unworthiness before God and your complete dependence upon him, he says, now you're blessed. It's not about all those other things. We have the example of the tax collector going up to the temple, the Pharisee, the Pharisee in his self-righteous, egotistical, spiritual arrogance saying, I'm so glad I'm not like other people. And then you have the tax collector, verse 13 of Luke 18. He stands some different distance away and he's even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven and he's beating his breast. And what is he saying? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That man is blessed because he is poor in spirit. This is where blessing begins, not with self-righteous attitude, not with being a self-made man. And this is the very first step of blessing. It is brokenness. You want to be blessed by God? Be broken over your sin. Some of you have secret sins that you're hiding. You have those dark closets no one knows about. And God is saying, you can't be blessed. You're full of pride. You won't be honest with yourself. You won't be honest with me. You cannot have my blessing because you are not poor in spirit. You are not contrite. You are not humble. You're filled with yourself. Once you understand what he says here, the result of being poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
There is no heaven for the proud. There is no heaven for the self-righteous. Listen carefully. Most of you know the Lord is your Savior, but some of you do not. Today you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Today you need to be broken in spirit. You need to call on the God of heaven and you need to ask him to save you. And you, you know in your heart right now who you are because there's sin in your life and you don't know what to do and and you're scared and you know you need forgiveness. What I want to do is I want to lead you in a prayer right now. Yes, right now. And if you need Jesus Christ as your savior, I want you to call out to him. And you may say, Scott, that's me. In the quietness of your heart, place your faith in the Lord and just say words like these. Everybody just bow your heads right now. And if you need Christ, you need forgiveness, just call out to the Lord with words like these right now. Lord Jesus Christ, I need you in my life. I am so sorry for my sin. I want to be honest with myself. And I want to be honest with you, God. I am a sinner. And I need forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. God, please save me from my sins. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've called out to the Lord today, we want to encourage you to let someone know that you've done that. The end of the service, we'll talk about that as well, what you can do. But make sure you talk to somebody about your relationship with God. You want to be blessed? Do you want to be blessed? Okay, number one, be poor in spirit. Number two, mourn. Look at verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. And it's a very similar idea to being poor in spirit. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, I I believe the holier a man becomes, the more he mourns over the unholiness which remains in him. We need the mourn, okay? And, and I believe it starts with a personal mourning, and, and I believe it continues with a mourning over other sin. We all see the mistakes of others and what they're making, and it breaks our heart. We see, we see our children making mistakes, or, or a spouse, or a friend, or a coworker, and, and we mourn over their sin and what we see coming in their life. I believe it continues not only with, with other sin, but I believe it continues with, with national sin. We, we see the injustices in our land. We, we see racism and our hearts mourn. We see sex trafficking and our hearts mourn and we see the murder of innocent babies. These videos released and revealed about Planned Parenthood and individuals callously talking about the dismemberment of babies and our hearts mourn. There's a deep sorrow. Not only does our, our nation defend the atrocity and at times ignore it, but funds it with your tax dollars. God, what is going on in this nation? Our hearts mourn, but God promises comfort. In verse 4, he says, for they shall be comforted. I want you to think about God. Psalm 56, 8, you've taken account of my wanderings. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God takes note of your tears, and he marks them. He saves them. Even in our trial, 2 Corinthians 1 tells us, the Father of mercies, the God of all comforts, who comforts us in our affliction, that is our God. And there is ultimate comfort in Revelation. He tells us he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there's no longer death, no longer mourning, no longer crying or pain. And later in the passage, why? Because I make all things new. 
God will make all things new. You're blessed if you're poor in spirit. You're blessed if you're more. And look at verse five. You're blessed if you're gentle. Blessed are the gentle. They will inherit the earth. He's not talking weak. He's not talking wimpy. Gentle is not respected in our world. It is seen as soft. It's all about power and authority and influence and throwing your weight around in our world. I mean, it's all about reminding people who's the boss. I want you to understand gentle or meek means power under control. It is like a horse that is bridled. And and the application here is certainly toward the attitude toward others who tick you off. When somebody ticks you off or treats you unfairly, God is expecting a gentle response. Power under control. You could let them have it, but you're not going to. You could curse them out, but you're not going to. You could lose your temper. You're not going to, is what he's talking about. Please back up five feet. How's that? Is that better? I'm going to be gentle. I could be ticked off right now. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Look what happens to these who are gentle. They inherit the earth. That's the new heavens. That's the new earth. It's not the powerful who ultimately win the world. It's not the mighty who conquer this world. It's not the strong who ultimately rule this world. Guess who it is? It's the gentle. It's the meek. That's who gets the planet, the people of God. You're going to get the planet. You're going to inherit this world. The gentle reign with Jesus. Earth is given to the children of God. The new heaven and new earth is given to the gentle and meek. Daniel 7 tells us about a time that will arrive when the saints take possession of the kingdom. Romans 8 tells us that we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And 2 Timothy 2 tells us if we endure, we will also reign with him. Child of God, you're going to reign with God on this earth someday. A new heaven and a new earth. And you may say, well, when is that? I want that. I want to know all about that. By the way, I know Bill mentioned we've got a prophecy series starting in four weeks. We're going to look in the book of Revelation and we're going to see if this is the end and we're going to see what God says all about the future. Ten-week study as we dive into God's word and we look at that. You're blessed, poor in spirit, more and gentle. You're blessed, look at verse 6, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger in your hearts. And now we have these dual emotions. Not only do we mourn over all the wrong in this world, but we hunger and thirst for what is right. And it's a personal hunger in our own life. We want to be holy. We long, we long to live right. And it can be so hard and discouraging in your life and my life as we fail over and over and over again. God, I want to do right, but I find myself doing wrong. And God, I want to live holy and I seem to be unholy. And and so we have this hunger to do right in our own life. And we also have a hunger for that for the whole world. And again, for those around us. We, We starve for righteousness to rule and to reign. We're so sick of evil and sin and perversion. And we want things to be right. And, and we, we, we long for the world to be turned around. And we know, listen, you know what we are? We are homesick, sick for heaven. We're homesick for God's kingdom on earth. And because we know a day is coming, Isaiah 11, when the wolf will lie down with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them and the cow and the bear will graze and their young will lie down and the lion will eat straw with the ox and the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. We know that there is peace coming to this world. We know it. 
And we want God to set up his kingdom. That's what we want. And our famished souls want to be satisfied. And that's what he says. Look at verse 6. They will be satisfied. Righteousness one day will rule and reign. All wrongs one day will be made right. The world is going to experience perfect peace and righteousness one day. Sin will be dealt with. Justice will be meted out and righteousness will reign. Blessed are you, poor in spirit, mourn, gentle, hunger, and thirst. Blessed are you, look at verse 7, who are merciful. High on God's priority is mercy. Why? Because he is a merciful God. God is rich in mercy because of his great love. Titus 3, 5. But according to his mercy, that's how we've been saved. And we saw last week, his mercy is new every single what? Morning. Lamentations, chapter 3. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. A merciful father expects us and puts a blessing on his merciful children. A merciful God puts a premium on merciful people. What does it mean to show mercy to people? It means you need to offer forgiveness to that person who doesn't deserve it in your life. You need to show them mercy. Because you've been holding it over their head and you've been reminding them of their sin and you've been just... God is saying, that's not how I treated you, and that's not how I expect you to treat others. Mercy forgives those who don't deserve it. Mercy shows compassion to those who are suffering. It doesn't ignore the hurts and pains of others. So often we, we make all these excuses, and myself included, because we're so busy, and God says, that's no excuse. I want mercy. And you get what you give, he tells us in verse 7, for they shall receive mercy. You give mercy, you get mercy. You show mercy, you receive mercy. You grant mercy, you're granted mercy, especially from a merciful God. Look at verse 8. You're blessed if you're pure in heart. That does not mean sinless. Proverbs 29, who can say I've cleansed my heart? I'm pure from my sin. Can you say that? I can't say that. None of us can. Doesn't mean we're sinless. 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. What does it mean to be pure in heart? It means an inner moral purity. It's opposed to this outward hypocrisy of self-righteousness or a show. And it's a single-minded commitment to righteous living. That's what it means to be pure in heart. I'm committed to righteous living. What's the result? One day you shall see the face of God. One day you're going to see your Savior face to face, child of God. I want you to think about this. What a promise. Uh, we've all seen some pretty spectacular things in our life, whether it's the birth of a child or a faraway beautiful destination, whether it's, whether it's you know, like the mountains. Look at that. <laughs> Special event, you know, or a glorious sunrise or sunset. One day you're going to see God. Nothing's going to compare to that. Nothing will come close. 1 John 3, 2, beloved, now we are children of God. It's not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we're going to be like him. We'll see him just as he is. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You will one day see God. You will be like God. You will be sinless. And as you have this hope, it purifies you. That's the pure in heart, being purified. Pure in Poor in spirit, mourn, gentle, hunger and thirst, merciful, pure in heart. And then look at verse 9. You're blessed if you're a peacemaker. Not if you have a lot of money, not if you have a big house, not if you have great health. He says, you're blessed if you're a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers that be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. We've got enough of those in this world. By the way, God hates troublemakers. Say that with me. God hates 
hates troublemakers, those who slander and gossip and they're harsh and mean-spirited. God hates, you may say, wait a minute, God doesn't hate any, oh, he hates troublemakers. Proverbs 6, 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination. Verse 19 says this, one who spreads strife among brothers. He says, I don't want you causing any trouble at work. I don't want you causing trouble in your family. I don't want you causing trouble in a church. I want you to be a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. God puts a premium on making personal peace. Jesus was the greatest of peacemakers. He made peace between God and man. Even the title given him in the prophecy of Isaiah, he will be the prince of peace. It's the gift that he gives to his children that in me you will have peace, John 16. And God calls us to be peacemakers, to pursue it. Listen to these verses. Write them down if you're taking notes. Psalm 34, 14. Seek peace and pursue it. You go after it. You run after it. What do you need to do to have peace with that spouse? What do you need to have to to have peace with that friend? What do you need to do to have peace with that coworker? Go after peace. Stop slandering. Stop gossiping. Stop bad mouthing. Run after peace. What do you have to do to have peace with your brother, your sister? Don't be a troublemaker. Be a peacemaker. Here's another verse, Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men, but you don't know what they did to me. Go after peace, all men. Romans 14, 19. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. And Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You can't, you can't determine someone's response. You just need to do everything you can to be at peace. And whether they want peace or not, that's in their hands. But you go after peace. Peacemakers, they shall be called the sons of God. You know what God tells us? God tells us this is the birthmark of a child of God. When you bring peace, you have a birthmark that says, I'm a child of God. I'm not a troublemaker, I'm a peacemaker. God made peace with us. He expects us to make peace with others. God went out of his way to make peace with you. He expects you and me to go out of our way to make peace with others. Not always easy, but we need to do it. And then lastly, you're blessed if you're persecuted. Persecuted? Look at verse 10 through 12. As a matter of fact, you're doubly blessed. Blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a blessing. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil about you. Because of me, rejoice and be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. Doubly blessed. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We go from peacemaking to persecution. To those who want nothing to do with peace. And I want you to understand this persecution is personal. Look at verse 11. You, you, you. It's they'll persecute you. They'll insult you. They'll slander you. It, it, it could be physical. It could be occupational. Lose your job. Relational. Verbal. Mocking. Cursing. Degrading. Falsely saying things. Lying about you. But why would they do that? It's not because you're obnoxious, but because you're righteous. It's not because of the wrong you've done, but the right you've done. As a matter of fact, 
You've tried to be poor in spirit and mourn and gentle and merciful and pure in heart and a peacemaker and you're hungering for righteousness and I'm being persecuted for all these things? Yes, because an ungodly world hates godly people. An ungodly world has always hated godly people. You can't expect this world to like you if they didn't like Jesus. Live righteously, but expect people not to like it. The result of persecution, verse 10, blessed are those who've been persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is yours. It's the reward of the first beatitude, and it's the reward of the last beatitude. God puts these bookends on the beatitudes. And he says, I don't want you to ever forget the kingdom of heaven is yours. I don't want you to ever forget the kingdom of heaven is yours. Your, your eternal destiny is not here and now. It's the kingdom of heaven. You're just passing through. Like this little guy. He's just passing through. That's all. And someday God is going to come for him. Like mama is going after him. And God's going to pick you up. And carry you into his kingdom. Isn't that amazing how God does that? It's amazing. We planned that illustration weeks on out. (laughs) Yeah, right. Look at the response. Verse 12, rejoice, be glad. Your reward in heaven is great. Don't be upset. Don't lose sleep over it when somebody's cursing you, mocking you because you're a Christian. Don't get all worked up over it. Look at the disciples' reaction. Listen to this in Acts 5.41. They went out away from the presence after they'd been beaten, whipped, flogged, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for his name. Consider yourself worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Christian's reaction in 1 Peter 4. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, is what Peter says. Hey, buddy, we did this already. (laughs) He's waiting for the rapture, I guess now. But anyway. Verse 16. Anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but he's to glorify God in his name. Don't be ashamed when you suffer for Jesus. Glorify God is what he says here. And he says, your reward in heaven is great. You have a heavenly reward. You have a great reward. You follow in the footsteps of great servants. Look at verse 12 with me. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen listen to me as I finish up here. You're not alone in your suffering. You're not alone in your suffering when you stand for righteousness. Prophets for thousands of years have dealt for this. It's nothing new. Let me give you some stats on the persecuted church through Open Door Ministry. Each month in the world, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. Every month. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed. 772 forms of violence are committed against Christians, from beatings to abductions to rapes to forced marriages, the list goes on. And pastors are often the targets as well. Saeed Abadami, American, imprisoned in Iran for sharing his faith. Eight-year sentence. In the past few years, Sweden, a pastor was arrested for breaking the hate speech law and served time in jail. London, a pastor was arrested for preaching on a London sidewalk. Canada, human rights tribunal, $7,000 fine, damages. That's just our neighbor to the north, Canada. Persecution is not far-fetched in America. In Arizona, a pastor was arrested for hosting a Bible class in his home. In Michigan, Christians were arrested for sharing their faith. In Texas, they were subpoenaed their sermons. I want you to understand something. May I be so blessed as I stand for Jesus Christ. 